Uh, now would be the time if you are a child ages two to grade five. If you want to head back to Kid Zone, they are ready for you. All right, hello everyone. It's been a while since I've been up here. My name is Vicki Miles, and I am the uh, chaplain inter intern here on staff. Um, so, if you did not know my name or it's been a while, Vicki is my name. And I will be uh, speaking this morning. We are continuing our Healthy Church series. I'm gonna make sure I turn on this thing. Does it need to be turned on? Nope, it didn't, okay. So this morning we're going to talk about being a healthy church or having a tove or a good culture. And as I was thinking about what I was going to say this morning, I started thinking about paths. I love a good path. I've started walking more uh, in my life and in Shiloh where I live, we have some walking paths that are very close to my house. And I've discovered if I go there, I don't actually need a map. I just need to have an idea of what direction I'm headed, and then pay attention to some markers as I'm going. So if I know that I'm heading this way, I can go this way, I'll pay attention to the things that are there. If I want to go home, I just go, okay, head home, and I can follow the path, and I will get where I'm going. And as I was thinking about paths, I thought about how paths are frequently used as a metaphor in the Bible. Uh, which makes sense, because when most of the books in the Bible were written, walking was the main mode of transportation at the time. And it turns out that paths are an excellent metaphor for life, because moving along a path includes moving purposely, progressing in a certain direction, and it encompasses the idea that life doesn't stand still and that our choices contribute to where we end up. And in much of the Bible, there's this motif of two ways between which people must choose. Two paths. In the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, uh, they're frequently referred to as things like the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And when they use those phrases, it's actually about the direction that they're headed. It's not about the way that they are walking, um, though that is included, but it's actually about where they are headed. And the Psalms present the idea that we can be headed toward God or we could be headed away from him. And I find that it's very interesting that when we apply that to this healthy church um, series that we've been doing, because the book, I'm gonna see what you guys are seeing. Did I have the book at any point up here? It's next, okay. Sorry, it's been a while, I forgot how this system works. So the book that this series has been based on um, a church called Tove, is basically that we should be making a culture in a church that is good and not toxic. And when we think of it that the way that the Bible likes to talk about the way that we're going, the paths that we can be taking, it fits into this. And as we are thinking about the culture that we have as a church, we can be thinking, which direction are we headed? Are we headed toward the good the good of God, or are we headed toward the way of the wicked or toxic? And already in this series, Brian has walked us through markers for a Tove church. And like on any path that you're going, if you have the direction, there are gonna be certain things that are gonna let you know if you're going the right direction. 
Um, this morning on the way to church, my husband, because there was fog, he would told a story to the kids. He was like, oh, when I was a kid, uh, it was really fun. This one place that I lived, there was a cornfield, and it was so much fun to play in there when there was fog because you'd end up having no idea which way you were going. <laughs> and you'd think you were heading home, and then you would come out, and then there'd be a road, and you'd be like, oh, I have to adjust. And the kids were not sure if this was a good story. They were like, you were lost? <laughs> um, but the markers in the fog were missing. So if you don't know what the markers are, you're not sure which way you're going. But in this series, we talk about what the markers are. So in some of the ones that we've already covered, a healthy church nurtures empathy. It will resist narcissism. It won't be about ourselves. It won't be about a specific person. Empathy will be one of the markers you will see in a healthy church. Also, it nurtures grace. There's not an atmosphere of fear of not an atmosphere of fear. We're not constantly worried about what's going to happen. Grace will be one of the things you will see in a healthy church. Next, it will put people first. There will not be they'll at least resist the institution creep that it's it's about what we are putting on and how we can achieve things, but it's going to be about the people. So today, with the help of this book, A Church Called Tove, and the insight that McKnight and Ballinger, the authors, have given us, we're going to explore, explore some other markers of a good culture in a church. And those are truth and justice. We'll start with truth, and I want to begin by sharing some quotes um, from Ballinger and McKnight that highlight how important the truth is or should be to Christians. The Bible calls us to know the truth, tell the truth, and live in the truth. Not only that, but we profess that our faith is the truth. Anything that opposes the truth or undermines the truth is not of God and not part of a truth-telling Tove culture. There is no room in a church called Tove for lying, deceit, cover-ups, suppression, gaslighting, or spin. All those things are toxic. Telling the truth, then, is who we are as Christians. When we don't tell the truth, we deny our identity and our calling. It's clear from these quotes that Ballinger and McKnight consider the truth to be integral to what it means to be Christian, integral to what it would mean to be like God. But to understand why that's the case, we need to explore what the truth is. And it is the Christian belief that the truth is not just an ideal, but it's actually encapsulated in a person, in Jesus. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus was the Son of God, full of grace and truth. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth because in him, who we truly are is revealed. It's not just the classic Sunday school answer that it, Jesus has got to be it. When we consider what we know about Jesus, that he was fully God but fully human, that he entered the world so that the relationship between humanity and God could be repaired, we learn the truth about who we were created to be, which is in relationship with God, we learn the truth about who we are now, 
which is being God's children. And we learn the truth about who we are to become, which is his heirs in the kingdom. Jesus said that he was going to send us the Holy Spirit, who he called the Spirit of Truth, who would guide us into all truth. So when we take these things and put them together, we can see that the Christian way is truth-telling about who we are and who we are to be. And it's a call to live in the light of that truth. But we can't live in the light of that truth if we are allowing ourselves to operate in the dark. And the way that we would do that would be those toxic things that the authors say we cannot have in a good culture. And those would be lying, deceit, cover-ups, suppression, gaslighting, or spin. The author of the book of John said, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. It's not easy to have light shone in dark places. And yet God calls us to live in the light. The book of 1 John says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we will have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living into the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place place in our hearts. I want to take a moment and point out how often the word we was used in this passage. We have a tendency to think of sin as an individual thing, but we are doing this series to talk about us, us as a church, as a people of God. And we are trying to figure out who are we going to be. The Christian journey is not a solitary one, and we are figuring out what direction we are headed together. We want to equip ourselves with the ability to see the markers of which direction we're headed so that we can head on the tove, the good path together. But if we're going to be a people of truth, if we are going to be a people of goodness, we need to be able to speak light into areas of darkness. We need to be okay with calling out the fact that darkness exists, not just in the world, but in the church. We need to have the courage to bring light into dark areas by confessing the moments when we have fallen short of who God means for us to be and become. Ballinger and McKnight end up sharing three markers that reveal whether a church is on the tove path in regards to truth. They are that a good culture resists false narratives, it knows Yom Kippur, and they form a truth-telling culture. If we are going to be able to resist false narratives, 
if we are gonna be able to live in the truth and tell the truth to each other, we need to be able to be humble and brave enough to submit ourselves to the truth even when it's uncomfortable. The reason that the book, uh, A Church Called Tove was written was because of the many instances of abuse that have come forward that have happened in churches. And the authors wanted to say, how can we make sure that these are not happening in churches anymore? And how can we make sure that if they do, we recover from them? Not that the church recovers from them, but that the people recover from them. And I have noticed, other people have noticed, as a church, as people in the church, we have difficulty acknowledging harm. We don't like to face our own imperfections. We sometimes hide behind the phrase, nobody is perfect. And we use the redemptive arc of the Bible to put a band-aid on our own shortcomings. We don't shine the light on them. We say that we're there, they're there, but we want to move quickly on. But we jump so quick past the acknowledgement of, oh yeah, everyone fails, and jump right into seeking or demanding forgiveness. We don't spend time acknowledging the pain. But those who have been wounded want their stories told. Not only do they want their stories told, but those who have been abused need the truth to be shared for their own healing. And if we are pursuing a tove culture of truth, we will be required to be better at being a witness to truth, of listening to hard stories. On Friday, we had the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. Because it was our second, I think, or I've noticed some discomfort, people don't, aren't quite sure what to do with it. If you are a non-Indigenous person looking for a place to begin, I suggest that you start by being a witness to the truth. Don't shy away from the discomfort of the light that's being shone on the harm that has been caused to the Indigenous peoples of this land. Read the reports that are available, listen to the stories that are being told. It's not always easy. Desmond Tutu, who was an archbishop in the Anglican Church in South Africa, was a big part of their own truth and reconciliation movement that had to do with the apartheid in South, America, South Africa. And he said this about the process. Forgiving and being reconciled to our enemies and to our loved ones is not about pretending that things are other than they are. It's not about patting one another on the back and turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness the abuse, the pain, the hurt, the truth. It could even sometimes make things worse. It's a risky undertaking, but in the end it is worthwhile because in the end, dealing with the real situation helps to bring real healing. Superficial reconciliation can only bring superficial healing. A tove culture means one that is brave enough to face when it has been party to wrongdoing. 
one that is secure enough in the truth of who we are to be in Christ that we can face the ways in which we have fallen short. As a church, I think we should be better at this. The Bible doesn't gloss over human failings. It's not all happy endings. There's plenty of stories of abuse, horribleness, and stuff that happens, but there's also the story of atonement, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And there is something, the Day of Atonement, called Yom Kippur, which Israel has celebrated since as long as we know, as long as they were Israel. And it's a day in which the nation of Israel tells the truth about itself, I guess not necessarily the Asian, but Israel, God's people, tells the truth about itself. And their good God forgives the people with an utterly gracious forgiveness. Yom Kippur included sacrifice that purified the temple as a place fit for God's, God's dwelling and the need for Israel to be purified of sin, but it was also a time when everyone gathered together. Everyone fasted and denied themselves physical pleasures and no one worked. It's a congregational act, something they do together, focused on self-denial, to concentrate the people's minds on God, on their sins of the past year, and on the grace of God's forgiveness and reconciliation. It's not a one-and-done event. It's something that they do regularly. It's on the calendar. We will focus on this. We will practice this. It was an annual reminder to the people of God about the truth of their sins and that they needed to seek God's forgiveness. It's a part of our spiritual heritage to have a regular practice of confession. Some Christian traditions make more of a practice of having a regular time of confession where they focus their minds on these kinds of things. There is the season of Lent. Um, there is also uh, some traditions that would have more prayers of confession in their services. But as evangelicals, we're, we have a bit more of a one-and-done attitude. We think that we've, we've asked for forgiveness, and it's done. But it's left us weak in the practice of having the light shined on our dark spots. If we're going to have a truth-telling culture, we need to have confession as part of our lives. And confession means admitting, naming, describing, and owning up to what we have done. We are called to confess to God and confess to each other. We are reconciled through our confessions when we can name where we have fallen short and ask for forgiveness. If we try to move on without confession, without acknowledging harm, without acknowledging hurt, without acknowledging failing, we cheapen grace. I've already acknowledged that this kind of work isn't easy, but we aren't alone in it. Jesus promised us that the Spirit of God will guide us and empower us through this kind of work. As we travel on this path toward goodness, toward God-likeness, the Spirit will turn us into committed truth-tellers. And when that happens, we will also become those who seek justice. 
our inability to face the truth has also led us to get a failing grade on justice, in my opinion. In a 2018 interview with Christianity Today, Rachel Dellen Hollander, who was an, is an activist for abuse survivors, said that she believes the church is one of the least safe places to acknowledge abuse. She also said the church is one of the worst places to go for help. When we try to hide darkness because we want things to look good, we fail on being who we're supposed to be. Being Christian, followers of Christ, means being able to admit that we are not perfect, that we have not been perfect, that other people have not been perfect, and wade through the darkness. And as we get better at that, we will get better at standing up for what is right because we won't be trying to convince ourselves that things are already right. The foundation of justice is the standard by which we measure what is just or right. And for us as Christians, again, the living word, Jesus, is how we measure what is right. Justice for us can be defined as behavior that measures up with what God has revealed to us in Christ and Scripture. So there's no law in our legal system that demands love, but Christ does. There's no law that requires empathy and compassion, but Christ does. There's no law that demands grace, but Christ does. This is the good path. We will be empowered to pursue this if we want to head that direction, if we can be intentional enough to go, this is the direction we want to go. We want to pursue this. If we are intentional enough to notice the markers in our own life and in our community about what we are pursuing. Because a good culture will pursue the right thing. It will pursue this justice, this justice of Christ that is beyond what we might consider otherwise in the world. A toxic one will put other things before justice. And one way in which churches have a tendency to veer off the good path, to head the wrong direction, is to put loyalty before justice. In most instances, loyalty is a virtue, but not when it obstructs justice and prevents people from doing what is right before God. We can be loyal to many things. We could be loyal to a leader, the reputation of a ministry, a church's brand, our own friends, our own systems, our status quo, our reputation. Are we allowing loyalty to prevent us from doing what is right? Toxic cultures 
they breed misplaced loyalty. If you are ever in a situation where someone is saying, if you are loyal to me, you are not going to do what is right, that is a red flag, that is a marker that things are on the wrong direction. Tov cultures promote doing the right thing even when it requires seemingly disloyal, disloyalty to the charismatic pastor, the celebrity church, and the inner circles of power. If you are in a culture that is willing to say, this may hurt us, but this must be done, that is a marker that it is a good culture. So which direction are we headed? Is it one that's keeping us from justice or is helping us recognize injustice? A justice culture develops deep moral perceptions to recognize injustice. And I believe this is still tied to being able to um, be a culture of truth. Because as we are listening to the experiences of others, we will start to notice the injustice. There are plenty of scriptures about how God cares about justice. We have done messages as a church on them before. If you would like more, we can refer you to some of the videos. Um, Proverbs tells us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, to ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Isaiah 58, one of the verses uh, that I love the most, it's actually an entire chapter about God saying, I don't want you to be acting fancy. I want you be, to be pursuing justice. I want you to pay people fair wages. I want you to feed the hungry. I want you to let captives free. Um, and then there's things like in the book of James, the author of James said, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And they were favoring the rich, giving them good spots. Um, the poor were kind of pushed aside and neglected. And James could have been loyal to the rich. He could have been loyal to the powerful because it was the rich that were powerful in the church. But instead, he called out the injustice. The reason that he was able to do so is he likely had experience in his life of being poor, of being neglected. And if we are able to, as a group, speak truth and hear truth when people are speaking it, we will be more aware of the injustices in our community, of the injustices in our building, of the injustices in the world. But sometimes it will cost us if we decide we want to pursue justice. And are we willing to do the right thing, even if it costs us? Are we willing to admit fault and confess sin? Are we willing to come under attack and take hits when we're pursuing what's right? Doing the right thing requires courage. But a church called Tove will be filled with courageous people who are doing the right thing. And we may like to think, of course, of course I stand for truth. 
Of course, I stand for justice. But that's not actually the point. None of us are perfect. Our church isn't perfect and our world isn't perfect. Thinking of ourselves as standing for these things is entirely too passive. We must walk on a path toward them. As Christians, Jesus is our truth because he defines true human identity, who we are and who we are meant to be. He is our standard of justice because he teaches a standard of right that goes beyond any secular law. As we assess our church culture, we need to look for the markers of the path that we are on. Do we resist false narratives? Are we more likely to put a shine on things because we don't want to look and see darkness underneath? Do we have a regular practice of confession and acknowledging when we've done harm? Do we have a culture and where we can hear when people are speaking the truth? Do we have a culture, culture where loyalty rules or where justice does? The truth will hurt sometimes. And the pursuit of justice will be uncomfortable. And we will not be able to take this journey on our own. But we need to decide as a church which path we are going to take. We need to learn how do we encourage each other and hold each other accountable as we head on that path. I want to take the good path. I hope you do too. <laughs>